questions and answers. Christians make up less than 1% of the Japanese population today. However, few know that when Christianity first arrived in Japan in 1549, the Japanese embraced the gospel and thousands came to faith in Christ. How did Christianity spread and what happened to the church in Japan? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat will start a four part series on the Christian history of Japan. If you're unable to hear any of this message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with part one. You know, one of the most enjoyable parts of being the executive director of Evidence and Answers, and a big blessing in being a part of a ministry like this, is that I get to travel throughout the world. Training and equipping some of the top Christian leaders in countries all over the world. And one of the places I spend a lot of time at are in the countries of Asia. And one of the exciting things about Asia is that the gospel is exploding throughout the countries of Asia. The largest church in the world that we know of, of course, is in Korea. But should the walls of communism fall in China, and I believe they will in our lifetime. I mean, those churches in China are going to dwarf the churches in Korea. The gospel is advancing throughout the country of China at a rapid pace. The most missionaries now are coming from the countries of Asia. And China is an example of those countries where the gospel is just flourishing and missionaries are going throughout the world. We know that the largest church structure is going to be in Jakarta. Indonesia is going to seat about 80,000. In India, there are churches of 30,000 all over that country. Nations like the Philippines, they've become one of the strongest sending nations in the world. I've spent time in Nepal and Myanmar, where now they are free. There is more religious freedom there, and the churches there are really beginning to grow with the more freedom that they are experiencing. And so the gospel is just exploding throughout the countries of Asia. But there is a country there where the gospel does not seem to have penetrated or made much of an impact there, and that's the country of Japan. Now, we know that Japan is one of the most technologically advanced nations in the world. It's got, I believe, the third largest economy. It is also one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Rarely do I meet anyone who has gone to Japan who has not really enjoyed the people and the culture of Japan and the beauty of that country. But today, many of us know only about 1% of Japan is considered Christian or perhaps less than 1%. Uh, the gospel has not been able to really make an impact in that country and the culture today. Well, unknown to many, even to many Japanese, is that Japan has a long Christian history. Their Christian history is even older than our church history here in the United States. Not many people know that about Japan. And so when I travel to Japan, I was able to learn about the Christian history of Japan. And when I came back to the United States, there were so many people as I began sharing about the rich Christian history of Japan that so many people did not know about. And they said, Pat, you got to do a tour to make people aware of this wonderful Christian history of Japan. And so we started doing the Japan Christian Martyrs Tour. And people have just 
raved about our tour of Japan, just fascinated not only by the culture and the people of Japan, but also by the rich Christian history of Japan. So in this particular show, I wanted to share about a little bit of the Christian history of Japan. Now today, the primary religions of Japan, primarily Japan is known as a very secular country, but deep down they are a religious people. And the two primary religions there are Shinto and Buddhism. The two remain separate but coexist together and the people practice both religions. It's quite interesting. They keep them separate, but both coexist together. Now, the first one is Shinto. Shinto means way of the gods or way of the spirits. And it originates from two Chinese words, Shen meaning spirit and Tao, the way. So Shintoism is the indigenous religion of Japan. It centers on the worship of nature, deities and deified people. It's the animistic religion of Japan. And in Japan, with their beautiful natural landscapes, where there are significant natural features like a beautiful lake or a very old and large majestic tree or a large mountain or a beautiful island, Shinto teaches that the spirit of the gods dwell in those natural structures there. And so often you'll see that sacred rope tied around the tree. That means you don't go climbing on that tree. The spirit of the gods exists in that tree. Or if there's a beautiful lake, you'll often see them offering offerings there at the lake or at the mountain. You'll see the beautiful Shinto shrines there, often marked by that gate, that red arched gate called the Tori Gate. But that's Shintoism. The second religion there, which arrived in Japan in about the 6th century, is Buddhism, which came from Korea and China. Now, Japanese Buddhism is quite different from the original Buddhism that its founder, Gotama, taught. After Gotama's death, two strains, two schools of Buddhism developed, Theravada, or what we call Southern Buddhism, and Mahayana, the more liberal or northern Buddhism. And it's Mahayana that went up into Tibet, China, Korea, and eventually came to Japan. And Mahayana Buddhism adopted a lot of the religions and the animistic beliefs of the countries they went into. And that's what happened with Japanese Buddhism. And there's several various schools of Buddhism in Japan, including Shingon, Zen, and Pure Land Buddhism. So in Japan, there is a syncretism of religions. There's a saying there that you're born and dedicated at the Shinto shrine. You're married at a Christian church. And when you die, you have a Buddhist funeral. And so that's kind of the religious makeup of Japan. Generally, they are considered a secular society. They do not go weekly to the Shinto temple or to the Buddhist temple. Those temples you primarily go to when you need something, when someone is sick or you've got a big exam ahead or you're applying for a job or you're hoping for a promotion and maybe just on special occasions like New Year's and, you know, special festivals throughout the year. But they don't attend these temples every week. That's kind of the religious makeup of Japan in the present day. Now, Western Christianity first arrived in Japan in 1549 when Francis Xavier, a Jesuit priest, arrived in Japan. Xavier is considered one of the greatest Catholic missionaries in the history of the church. He was born in Spain in 1506. And in the 1540s, he established churches in India, Southeast Asia, and Japan. And after Japan, he attempted to go to China, but he died on his way there. Now, Xavier 
landed in 1549 in a city in way southern Japan on the southern tip of one of the Japanese islands of Kyushu in a city called Kagoshima. And from there, he traveled up north to the southern tip of the main island of Japan or Honshu. He traveled to the prefecture of Yamaguchi and he stopped there. Yamaguchi at this time was considered the second Edo or the second capital of Japan. Edo was the main capital and Yamaguchi was the second most prominent city there. Now, while he was there, he attempted to meet with the daimyo or the lord of Yamaguchi, but he was not granted an audience. He went simply looking as a humble priest and he was not granted an audience with the lord of Yamaguchi there. He attempted to go to Kyoto, the capital of Japan there, where he attempted to meet with the shogun and the emperor. But after several weeks, he failed to attain an audience and returned to Yamaguchi. Now, Xavier attempted a second meeting with the daimyo, the lord of Yamaguchi. And this time, instead of coming as an impoverished priest, he appeared as a dignified envoy of a foreign power. He came dressed in nice robes. He came with a letter from the governor of Goa. He wore a silk robe and he brought gifts and he brought an entourage with him. And he immediately won an audience with the daimyo of Yamaguchi. Now the second meeting was a success and Xavier was granted a license to preach and even use an abandoned temple for his headquarters there in Yamaguchi. So using the abandoned temple as his headquarters, Xavier preached two sermons a day and he went throughout the streets of the towns there preaching and sharing through a translator the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And the people flocked to the temple and samurais and noblemen stayed after to discuss the messages with Francis Xavier. Now the Japanese, when you read Xavier's letters, they struggled with several issues. Here's some of the issues that Xavier wrote about that the Japanese struggled with. Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Why did God create hell? How could a loving God send people to hell forever? Why can't people escape hell once they're there? Why are they eternally destined to be there? And finally, why should our ancestors go to hell if they had never heard the gospel? You know, you look at those four major questions that the Japanese struggled with and kept asking Xavier, and you realize those are some of the same issues that people struggle with today. When I'm speaking with non-Christians or on university campuses or in non-Christian arenas, those are some of the same questions I get today. And so the Japanese were struggling with the same questions that we struggle with today. And so Xavier was quite the apologist having to give evidence and answers for the Christian faith. Great name for a radio show. Someone should start a radio show with that name, huh? Well, Xavier, of course, ran in to the religion of Japan, and primarily the religion at that time was Buddhism. That's the one that he encountered the most. This was, you know, when you read his letters, this is his evaluation of Buddhism there. He realized that the monks preached that none will be condemned to hell for the founders of the sect and those who are enlightened will take them out of the flames. Xavier wrote this, On certain days the bonzus, the priests, preach publicly. The sum of all their discourses is that none of the people will be condemned to hell, whatever may be the number of their past and present crimes. For the founders of their sects will take them out of the midst of those flames. 
if perchance they are condemned to them, especially if the bonzus who have made satisfaction for them constitute themselves their intercessors. So Xavier realized that the law of karma, the law of karma is the law of action and reaction, that in your lifetime you gain good karma for your good deeds and bad karma for your bad deeds. And of course, everyone has some bad karma. And if you have too much bad karma, you end up in hell, awaiting your next reincarnation. Well, the bonzus or the priests here have so much good karma that they can extend that good karma unto you and get you out of the fires of hell. Well, the bonzus exalted themselves above the people because of their obedience to the teachings and the precepts of Buddhism. And indeed, Xavier wrote that the bonzus boast greatly to the people of their own holiness on the ground of their obedience to the laws of Buddhism. And the poor were the most severely condemned to hell because they could not give offerings to the priest. So at the same time, priests also say that the poor who are unable to show kindness to the priests, have no hope of escaping hell. That stands in contrast to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 19. If you remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, sell all that you possess and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And with that, the rich young ruler turned away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So what the priests were preaching was quite contrary to things that Jesus taught. Well, when it came to women, well, the priests condemned the women because of their monthly periods and they were considered foul creatures. There's a chance that women could be saved from hell if they paid large sums of money to the priests. Xavier wrote this, and they, the priests, say women are as badly off if they neglect the five precepts. For they say that each woman, on account of her monthly courses, is covered with more sins than all men put together. And that thus so foul a creature can hardly be saved. They go on to say that there is some hope even for women of escaping from the prison of hell if they give a great deal more than the men to the bonzus or the priests. That's quite in contrast to the teachings of Jesus. If you look in the book of Luke, women played a prominent role in the ministry of Jesus and Jesus regularly spoke with and ministered to women. And Peter writes in First Peter chapter 3, Peter writes to the husbands and says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter calls the wives co-heirs of eternal life and commands husbands to live, treat their wives with honor and live with them in understanding. And so quite a contrast to what the Buddhist priests were preaching there in Japan. And remember in Genesis chapter 1, you know, it is men and women together who make up the image of God. And that's one of the greatnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, wherever I go in the world, wherever the gospel arrives, it exalts the status of women. You know, in Western culture, Christianity receives a bad rap saying it oppresses women. It's chauvinistic. It's male dominated. Well, you go to a lot of these cultures where 
you know, the gospel is not known. Women are quite oppressed. And when the gospel arrives, it exalts the status of women. And that's what happened in Japan. Now, getting back to Xavier's evaluation of the Buddhist priests, he realized that those who gave considerable sums of money to the priests would after death receive great reward in their new life. He wrote, the Bonzus further declare that persons who in their lifetime have given money to the Bonzus will after their death receive 10 times as much in the same coin for the necessities of their new life. And there are numbers of men and women who entrust considerable sums to the priests in order to receive tenfold in the next world. And the priests give them a security in notes, which they write. The ignorant people have no hesitation in believing in this multiplied interest on funds thus invested. The notes of their bonzus or their priests are carefully preserved and the people about to die order them to be buried with them in belief that the devil will fly at the sight of them. The priests have thousands of other impostors, which I cannot speak of without pain. So it greatly pains Xavier to see the exorbitant amounts of money that the priests gained for the promises that they made of eternal life and reward in the next life. Xavier found it amusing that the Buddhist priests have an infinite number of ways of acquiring money from the people, but they never give everything anything in return. And this greatly grieved Xavier when he saw this. He wrote this, One thing is very amusing, that though they take money from everybody by way of alms, they themselves never give anything to anyone. I omit for the sake of brevity the infinite number of ways they have of getting money given to them, but I cannot help grieving and feeling indignant at all the tribute the people pay to men like these and all the honor in which they hold them. And to this day, Xavier's evaluation of Buddhism still rings true in countries I go in where it's dominated by Buddhism. You will see long parades of Buddhist priests every morning as they go through the town or the city and people giving them large amounts of money and food and the priests go back to their lush temples and are well fed and well cared for while the people in the town all around them live in just abject poverty. And when people need prayer or any services of the priests, you know, the priests are always collecting money from the people. And so Xavier's evaluation still holds true for today when I travel to these countries throughout Asia that are dominated by Buddhism. In these countries, we see, you know, a contrast to the church. The church is the one that is setting up hospitals, setting up schools, creating orphanages, taking in children off the street. And many of them are not asking for money. They welcome donations and offerings, but Despite the poverty of many of these churches in Asia, they are the ones opening up their homes to the children on the streets, providing schools and education and hospital care for those in need. So what a contrast to the practice of Buddhism that Xavier sought and that we see today. Now, one of the things Xavier noticed is that Buddhism taught nothing about the origin and the creation of the world. Xavier wrote this, The Japanese doctrines teach absolutely nothing concerning the creation of the world, of the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens, the earth, sea, and the rest, and do not believe that they have any origin but themselves. The people were greatly astonished on hearing it said, There is one sole author and common father of souls by whom they were created. This astonishment was caused by the fact 
that in their religious traditions, there is nowhere any mention of a creator of the universe. If there existed one single first cause of all things, surely, they said, the Chinese, from whom they derived their religion, must have known it. For the Japanese give the Chinese the preeminence in wisdom and prudence in everything relating either to religion or to political government. They asked us a multitude of questions concerning this first cause of all things, whether he was good or bad, whether the same first cause were the origin of good and of evil. We replied that there exists only one first cause, and he is supremely good and without any admixture of evil. And that is even true today. You know, Buddhism does not speak of the creation and origin of the universe and how the universe came here and how life began. Buddhism does not address these issues. This is a huge void in Buddhism. This is a huge void that Xavier saw and he was able to address that issue and show how the Bible and the teachings of the Bible really address the void of the, some of the greatest questions that people ask. Even hundreds of years ago, they're asking the same questions that we ask. Why are we here? What is the purpose of our existence? Why is the universe here? Why does the universe exist? Many people feel, well, those are just modern questions or irrelevant questions that people don't ask. No, those are questions people ask all over the world. Wherever I travel, people ask those questions. And hundreds of years ago, as Xavier introduced the gospel to Japan, even the Japanese were asking those questions. Now, in a short period of two years, a thousand Japanese converted to Christianity. Xavier was so impressed with Japan, he only called for the best missionaries and the missionaries of highest quality to be sent. Xavier wrote, Japan is the only country yet discovered in these regions where there is hope of Christianity permanently taking root. He further wrote, these are the best people so far discovered and it seems to me that among the unbelievers, no people can be found to excel them. Father Alexander Valenano, who followed Xavier, wrote this. He said, of all the nations I've ever visited, Japan is the most appropriate nation to receive salvation. In 1552, so that's three years after Xavier arrived, Yamaguchi was the first city to celebrate Christmas. In 1587, so about 40 years later, it is estimated that there were nearly 200,000 Christians in Japan. So the Japanese embraced the gospel and the gospel spread throughout Japan. By 1597, it is estimated there were about 300,000 to half a million Christians in Japan. Father Oganto, one of the missionaries who followed Xavier, wrote, Japan would be Christianized in 30 years. So there was great hope for Japan. Many believe that Japan would be the gateway for the gospel to go into all of Asia. You know, the strongest concentration of churches were in the south, of course, where Xavier landed. But by the end of the 16th century, hundreds of churches were established throughout Japan from north to south. And many of the daimyos and lords and samurais were baptized as Christians. And so there was great hope for Japan as thousands of Christians embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the hope of many of the missionaries that Japan would be the gateway for the gospel to arrive in Asia. Well, the Japanese embraced the gospel of Christ and it spread throughout the nation, but soon something changed. And we'll discuss that next time here on Evidence and Answers. 
thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, audio, and Pat's books. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.